Welcome back to The Word Encounter, episode 247, where today we'll be covering the book of Thessalonians, of which there are two, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. And um, <clears throat> I think we're going to be able to get through both of them today. Uh, Paul finds himself, I believe, in Athens, in Greece, and Thessalonica uh, is in also, or, or is also in Greece. And so Paul is writing to them, and it, it's um, assumed that Paul has written this uh, around AD 50, AD 51, somewhere around there. And so this is one of his first letters, and so this is well before he wrote his prison letters. Um, and so uh, Paul is writing to strengthen the church. Uh, the church is relatively young. Uh, believers are only two or three years uh, in the word of the Lord. And to clarify teaching questioning, the second coming of Christ. And so some uh, teaching had uh, crept into the church with regard to whether the second coming of Christ was actually a reality thing or not. And so Paul is writing in order to um, educate and impart knowledge and wisdom with regard to these issues, as well as to strengthen and encourage the body of believers. And so with that, let's get started. In chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul is greeting the church and he gives thanksgiving, and that's basically what he does through that uh, chapter. In chapter 2, Paul is talking about some of his journeys and exploits and things that he has faced and whatnot on his missionary trips. And, um, and so Paul is bringing them up to speed with regard to uh, how people have been uh, receiving or opposing the message and uh, just basically educating them on what he has faced thus far. And so in chapter 3, he writes to them about some anxieties that they have faced, some persecutions that they have faith, uh, faced, and um, how he was encouraged by Timothy, who was traveling uh, with Paul. And uh, so he's bringing them up to speed on all of that. And then in chapter 4 is when he actually starts, I think, to get into the meat of what he wants to communicate to the body. And it says the call to, sancti uh, the call to sanctification. And then down in verse 2, he says, For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual Im uh, immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in, hol in holiness and honor, uh, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God, this means one must not transgress against uh, and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner. And so Paul is saying, look, uh, for this is God's will for you, for you to be sanctified, set apart from these lustful desires. You know, and so we, we have to remember that in a lot of these territories at that time, um, sexual immorality was a part of worship services for many pagan religions. And so it was a part of a form of worship. And, and so you have people coming out of these things, not knowing what um, righteous behavior is about in this particular area. And so Paul is writing about it to make it clear. It says in verse seven, for God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Loving and working. Verse 9. About brotherly love. You don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this towards uh, all the brothers and sisters in the region of Macedonia. 
But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. So Paul is saying, look, I don't need to write to you about brotherly love because you are, in fact, well known in the region for your love. But I encourage you to go even further, to, to do even more in this area of brotherly love. To seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we, command, as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. So Paul is saying, look, lead a quiet life. Don't be a busybody. Mind your own business. You know, just work with your own hands. He's saying, earn your living. Don't be a burden on anybody else. Earn your own living. And, and so, so that when outsiders view you, you know, you will not be dependent on them or anybody else for your survival. <clears throat> the comfort of Christ coming in verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, concerning those who are dead, is what Paul is saying. We don't want you to be uninformed about the dead so that you will not grieve like the rest uh, who have no hope. So he's saying, look, you need to be informed so that you can understand what comes after death so that unlike the unbeliever, you see, you won't have to grieve in the same way that they grieve. What separates their grief from your grief is knowledge in knowing what happens after death, knowing what, what happens post-death. says in verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring him or God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. God will bring with him those who have died. So he said, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to know that in the same way that Jesus rose, that God will raise the dead and bring them with him. And so if, if your grieving is based on uh, a belief that never again will these, will these deceased ones be heard from, that's errant thinking. It says in verse 15, For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. <clears throat> we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So Paul is saying, look, for those who are alive at the second coming of Jesus, they won't proceed to the Lord prior to or before those who have died. In other words, those who have died will come first before those who are still alive. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the, arch, uh, with the archangel's voice and with, a, with the trumpet and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we will always be with the Lord. She said the dead will rise first and be caught up with Jesus. And those who are still alive at the second coming, they will then be caught up with Jesus. And then they will be together, <clears throat> excuse me, in the clouds with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So Paul said, therefore, you know, start telling the truth. Let people know what's going to happen to those who fall asleep, to those who die. See, it's not the end of the road, essentially, is what Paul is saying. Chapter 5, the day of the Lord. 
about the times and the seasons. Brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When we say peace and security, oh, excuse me, when they say peace and security, peace and security, then sudden destruction uh, will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. When they say peace and security, Paul is saying when the unbelievers say or believe we have now achieved peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not be able to escape. And so the Lord will come like a thief in the night with nobody knowing, no, no kind of uh, uh, warning, or he comes. So people are saying peace and security, and all of a sudden the Lord shows up. When they say people, again, unbelievers, all of a sudden the Lord shows up, and then sudden destruction. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep like the, uh, let us not sleep like the rest. Let us stay awake and be self-controlled. Let us not sleep like the rest. Let us not behave like the rest of the people as if there's not going to be an atoning, as if there's not going to be a judgment coming forth. See, so then let us not fall asleep. Let us not sleep. Let us not ignore the fact that there's going to be judgment coming. Let's not ignore the fact like the rest of them, but let us stay awake. Let us stay on point. Let us stay faithful. Let us stay righteous. Let us be self-controlled. Let us not give ourselves over to indulgences. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up as you are already doing." So again, Paul is talking uh, to the end times because the question is about the second coming of Jesus. So he's, he's trying to address all of the questions that the people have surrounding this issue. And, and uh, one of the big issues is this question of death and what happens after death and the timing of things. <laughs> Exhortations and blessings in verse 12. It says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, do give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you. People will do for recognition what they won't do for money. Recognition being recognized is a very, very powerful motivator. And so Paul is saying here, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you. Don't take them for granted. Don't ignore them. Acknowledge their efforts. And to regard them very highly in love because of their work. And we exhort, or exhort, you, exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. Comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursues what is good. This is a big one. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. 
That's a hard ask. Our natural response when somebody does evil to us is to want to return evil onto them. But Jesus is saying, see to it that no one, he's talking in the body of believers, that no one does this. See to it that no one repays evil for evil. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks to everything, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Don't just take things, even if they come in the form of a prophecy. It says test all things. How can you test if you don't know? So you have to have a degree of knowledge within you uh, to be able to discern what is accurate and what is not. Test all things. It's on you to test what you hear. You just don't swallow everything. Test all things. It says, hold on to what is good. In other words, a horse, you know, chew it. Uh, you might have a pile of, of hay and sticks. You know, eat the hay, spit out the sticks. Hold on to what is good, spit out what is bad. That's how you test things. Not everything you hear is going to be 100% accurate, 100% righteous, 100% holy. But that doesn't mean it's all going to be bad either. Hold on to the good, spit out the bad. <clears throat> we go on to uh, 2 Thessalonians, and we find here that um, this letter is in response to how the Thessalonian, uh, Thessalonians responded to the first letter. You see, and so uh, Paul is writing to correct doctrinal error, uh, error concerning the timing of Jesus's return. So now we get from whether Jesus is going to return to a timing issue. It says many were quoting, well, excuse, excuse me, many were quitting jobs, being idle and using prophecy as an excuse for irresponsibility while waiting for his return. And so people were, were thinking that Jesus, uh, Jesus's coming was imminent. And so why should I work? <laughs> you know, why should I think about the future? Why should I do anything that's aimed towards the future? He's going to come tomorrow, you know? And so we go from Jesus uh, is never coming back, correcting that thinking, swinging 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Jesus is coming this afternoon, okay? And so Paul has to correct this perception. And so um, with that in mind, let's go on. And so Paul writes a greeting um, to the people. Uh, he talks about uh, God's judgment and glory. Uh, let's go on to chapter two here. It says, the man of lawlessness, verse one. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. And so now there was some thinking or some teaching going on that the day of the Lord had already passed. See, that was already done with. <laughs> and so Paul is saying, 
Don't be upset or troubled by somebody giving a prophecy or somebody giving you a message or a letter that somebody may have written supposedly from us. He says, no, 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 no. Don't be troubled by that. It says, don't let it. This is verse three. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. So now Paul is getting into some teaching. He's saying, don't worry about this teaching with regard to the Lord, uh, uh, that the Lord has already come. He hasn't. Why do I know that he hasn't come yet? Because he says that unless unless apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. And so Paul's essentially saying this hasn't happened yet. So the Lord has not come back yet. He says in verse four, he opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple, proclaiming that he himself is God. He's talking about the Antichrist now. See, and so we go down to verse seven for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And so Paul is saying, look, the, the, the Satan's schemes uh, to disperse lawlessness throughout the land is already here. That's already at work. Okay. But the one now restraining, uh, but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way. The one now restraining is Jesus. Jesus, even though lawlessness is being spread, Jesus is, is constraining it. He's not letting it get just totally and completely out of control. See, and he's going to do that until Satan is out of the way. Verse 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him into and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with every kind of miracle both signs and wonders serving the lie. And so Satan is going to have the ability to perform signs and wonders and miracles. See, so we got we to gotta watch out. We got to watch out that we don't just look at signs and wonders and miracles to confirm whether this is of God or not. Because he's saying that Satan will be able to do this in order to serve the lie. And with every wicked deception among um, among those who are perishing. So everybody who wants to believe the lie will suck this up. Is what Paul is saying. And he says they perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. He says they perish because they did not accept the gospel. They did not accept Jesus. They did not believe with their heart. They did not confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. They turned from that. So Paul says they perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. Verse 11, for this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie. So, so the, the, Paul is essentially saying when they reveal their hand, when they reveal that, they're, that they don't believe uh, the word of God, then it says here that, that God kind of sends them even more evidence to not believe the word. God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie, so that they will uh, be condemned. Those who did not believe the truth, but delighted in unrighteousness. See, those are the ones that are condemned. Those who did not, who had the opportunity to, but they chose not to believe the truth 
and they delighted in unrighteousness, those will be condemned. He says, stand firm in verse 13. But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God has chosen you uh, for salvation through sanctification by the spirit, through belief in the truth. He called you to this through through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, whether by what we said or what we wrote. So Paul is essentially encouraging them to don't be, don't sway with the wind. Stand firm in what you know to be the truth. And we can scream that out today. Don't be blown to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Stand firm. Stand firm in the word of God. In chapter 3, Paul gives a warning against irresponsible behavior. He says in verse six, now we command you brothers and sisters in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to keep away from every brother or sister who is idle and does not live according to the tradition received from us. For you yourselves know how you should imitate us. We were not idle among you. We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and toiled working day and night so that we would not be a burden to any of you. It is not that we don't have the right to support, but we did it to make ourselves an example to you so that you would imitate us. In fact, we were in fact, excuse me, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. (laughs) For we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They are not busy, but busy bodies. (laughs) Say what you really mean, Paul. Those who don't work should not eat. And so apparently, you know, with, with, this, with this thinking that Jesus is coming tomorrow, so I'll just quit my job and just wait for the second coming. Well, obviously, if he didn't come back, they still had to live. And if they still had to live, but they weren't working, that means somebody else had to be supporting them. And Paul is saying, <laughs> if they haven't been working, they shouldn't eat. You know, they're, they're behaving irresponsibly. We cannot condone that. Verse 12. Now we command and exhort uh, such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves. But as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not get tired of doing what is right. Do not get tired of doing what is righteous. Do not get tired of being a person of integrity. Do not get tired in your well-doing. It can be very draining to be a person of well-doing. It can sap energy out of you. It can sap the life out of you at times if you let it. And so we have to keep all things in perspective. Some of us get involved in things that we aren't called to do. And so we are, aren't being led by the Lord. We're being led by ourselves doing what we think is right, doing what we think we should be doing, but maybe we aren't called to do so. That's where a discerning spirit is very, very important. We have to know 
what we're doing and why we're doing it and that we are being led by the Holy Spirit to do it. Because if we're being led by the Spirit to do it, then the, then the provision to do it, be it energy, strength, money, whatever, will be provided. When we're out there doing things on our own, then we're liable to lack energy, strength, and monetary resources. With that, we are done for today, and we will pick it up in 1 Timothy tomorrow in the next episode. Believe with your hearts, ladies and gentlemen. And if you haven't done so, and even if you have done so, continuously confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Because sometimes we need to hear things over and over and over and over again. And nobody can talk to you as much as you can talk to yourself. So make that confession to you over and over and over again that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. If you sincerely believe that in your, in your heart, the word says that you'll be saved and you won't be put to shame. Stay safe. Be blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And should the Lord bless us with another day of life, we'll see you tomorrow in the next episode of The Word Encounter. Bye-bye.